Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to take them and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, which will be our text. I'll read in just a moment, verses 3 through 6. Thank you, Pastor Stewart, children and sharp objects. I thought we kind of went through that at some point, but that's okay. I know that uh, they were out to, uh, I think it was young adults, hatchet throwing at one point as well. Anyway, it is a joy to be here. I welcome every single one of you to Big Woods Bible Church in the name of our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Congratulations. We have a special couple visiting, I think, here for the first time as Mr. and Mrs. Congratulations to Isaac and Abby Brady. <clears throat> Having recently returned from their honeymoon, we celebrate with you. What a blessing as well to celebrate alongside of Ruth and Janie and Andrew in baptism. An absolute delightful day to be together as family. Now, we are going to embark here um, for at least the next several weeks on a subject that is um, of utmost importance in the world that we find ourselves living and ministering in today, and that is the subject of spiritual warfare. Um, it is more than appropriate before anything else that we go to the Lord and ask for his help as we look into his word this morning. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we love you and we thank you already for the opportunity that you've given to us to lift up voices in praise to you, to witness obedience in the lives of new believers and celebrate with them in the waters of baptism. We thank you, Lord, so much for what you're doing in our midst. Father, we thank you for your word, as we've already been reminded, is sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you, Lord, for the presence of your spirit that guides us in this process of hearing your word and applying it to our lives so that as we leave your house on your day, we know exactly how we're equipped and, and why we're equipped to do what you've called us to do. Lord, I just pray. I pray, Lord, specifically for people that are going through battles and struggles and personal turmoils. I just pray, Lord, that you would minister in a way that only you can, that you would draw people close unto yourself. I, I pray especially maybe for those that are here or those that are listening who do not know you, have not received you, acknowledged Jesus as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation, that you would draw them unto yourself. And Lord, as your children, we just plead for help. I, I ask, Lord, that you would guide my, my words this morning. May everything be fitting and appropriate and honoring to you and glorifying to you. Please help me to speak clearly. We love you. We thank you, Lord, for the message and the hope that exists the full and finished work of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray these things. Amen and amen. The words will be in front of you in our text. We're going to begin right off by diving into 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the word of the Lord. I read verses 3 through 6. For though we walk in the flesh... 
We are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And take every thought captive to obey Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. The words of the Lord. Now, spiritual warfare. Think of the words. And the question, in a sense, like why are we taking time as a church to address this subject? I believe it is easily one of the most misunderstood terms in modern evangelicalism. Now, now we could spend a lot of time searching for the, the reason why. Why is it so misunderstood? But in all honesty, I don't think it would be that profitable to get down deep into the many causes because it's almost a, a pointless, endless endeavor to venture off in a million different directions searching for the, the, the reason for or the origin of misunderstanding of spiritual warfare. I, I would rather this morning and for the weeks following focus on what we know. What we know is certain versus what we surmise or what we speculate to be true. So much of it is what? Well, my grandfather knew someone who had this, like, experience. Like, he was terrified, and I, I think there were some red eyes. Like, I remember all of it, but there were some, like, really creepy red eyes. If I were to just suggest, generally, like, just broadly, I think everything would fall into two categories as to why. Number one, there's, there's an access today of an overabundance of misinformation. I... I read it online. Therefore, it must be true. And the other reason, I think in, in all honesty, I think there is, is an utter fascination with that which is unknown that has resulted oftentimes in, in this. I, I feel, like I, I feel something. I don't know what it is, but something is lurking in the darkness. It's the same concept that says what? Don't, don't. Don't think about a snake. Don't think about a slimy snake. Don't think about it coiled up. Don't think it's slithery. Don't think about it going down your neck. Okay? And what are you thinking about? Creepy snakes. Now, as, as a result, when people think, they hear this phrase, spiritual warfare, they think a demon behind every single tree. A mystical hand-to-hand -hand combat. You know, it's like one of these. Like, take that, Satan. It's being waged through certain types of prayers. And so there's mantras that we need to, to say or incantations and practices. Like we're going to bind Satan and we're praying a hedge of thorns or an exorcism or we're rebuking Satan and or demons or we're taking away from him this territory and we're going to claim this territory for Christ. 
Let me be very honest. Christ doesn't need your help or my help in claiming territory. When we hear things like that in our society, let me remind you that we do not see these things in Scripture. Very directly, very both. These things we're going to bind and we're going to, to, to conquer and we're going to, to take back. These things are not in the least bit biblical. We, we do not see direct interaction with demons, with Satan, in order to gain physical and or spiritual territory. If you think about it, Look at Scripture, almost any and all interactions that we see in Scripture with Satan, with demons, post-fall, apart from what? The, the serpent speaking to Adam and Eve. Almost everything we see, it's directly including God himself. God himself. God is the one who curses the serpent, we know, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. We know that it is God himself who actually gives permission for Satan to test his faithful servant, Job, in chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Job. It's what God himself, Jesus, incarnate, son of God, who's tempted in the wilderness. And he's the one who's rebuking Satan directly. Matthew chapter 4, as recorded in Mark 1 and Luke chapter 4. Jesus encountering what? Several demon-possessed people. Actually, several occasions we see throughout Scripture. Luke chapter 4, 34, 41, Luke chapter 8, Mark 1, Mark 3, Mark 5. And every single time that Jesus, God himself, directly interacts, he basically says what? Two things. You be quiet, you be silent, and come out. Go away. The only other time that we really see something is the, is the one that we kind of have the interaction with a demon-possessed girl that's bothering the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 16. Remember, this little girl's following Paul and his guys around, and, and, and she's actually saying this. She's demon-possessed. These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved, which is actually truth, and she was doing it in a mocking way. I love the response here. It says what? That she kept this up for many days. Just, just following Paul around. And then Paul responds exactly the way the Lord Jesus Christ did. Finally, Paul became so annoyed. It says in scripture. He turned around and he said to the spirit. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command you to come out. At that moment, the spirit left her. Which means it's really, as we see here. There's something about, it's the spoken word. It's the word. Remember, our authority stems from the word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. So you have to realize here, this is not going to be rocket science. It's very, very clearly. Every single time that the Lord Jesus Christ was tempted in the wilderness, his only response was what? Was to quote scripture directly. One of those three occasions. Matthew chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. After 40 days. Just imagine that. 40 days you've been fasting 
in the wilderness. I've had the opportunity to actually travel through the hills of that dry, barren wilderness. There's nothing there. Nothing. After 40 days, I think it's an understatement when it says what? Jesus Christ, who was totally God and totally man, and it says this. He was hungry. Yeah. <laughs> 40 days, guys. We have a hard time going 40 minutes without getting something just to hold us through. Little snicker satisfies. It says what? And the, and the tempter came and said to him, if, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And I'm thinking like loaves of bread that are warm and steaming and butters melting down, whatever he wants. But he, speaking of Jesus, answered, said, it is Written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Two other times, you remember? Take a look at this. This is all be yours. Jump off. What? You're fine. You can do anything. Every single time, simply what Jesus' first response, it is written. Later on, we will very closely examine in Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God and the only offensive weapon that we are given as it says in verse 17, the sword of the Spirit. And I love this, that Paul just clarifies, which is the Word of God. There's a clarity here that is specific, that is intentional, which means there's no other sword. There's no other weapons that you're going to grab. Need I remind you about Big Woods? Our belief system. Go, go right on our website. It's everywhere. And if you click on, like, I, I wonder what these people are about. I wonder what they believe. Number one, you can look at it. Number one, the very first thing. You will read this. That the Bible is the word of God and is our final authority for life, faith, and practice. Number one. And then you can actually click on, well, let's, let's dive deeper. Let's see all the scriptural evidence. And it takes you to the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. And, and what? Number one on their list, our list. It says what? We believe the scriptures. The Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired. And is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author. Salvation for its end and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct and creeds and religious opinions should be tried. All scripture is a testimony. I love how it concludes here. All scripture is a testimony to Christ who is himself the focus of divine revelation. And there's a list, list, multiple scripture references that support that. Which means what? The, the idea here we have to hold on to. In this idea of, of warfare, in this battle, the focus has got to remain on Christ. On, on the person. On what he has called us to. What he has taught for us. We don't focus solely on the enemy. We don't get mesmerized 
and what hypnotized and paralyzed by how impressive the weapons are that the enemy has. That's not how you win battles. That's not how you go into war. Arguably the greatest, greatest fighting force, arguably, I believe, the greatest fighting force that we have in the world today when it comes to physical warfare, I think, in all honesty, are, are the U.S. Navy SEALs. I knew a couple of those boys. My goodness. They terrify you just as they come close to you. And there's actually what, in, in part of their ethos, it actually reads this. This is what they commit to as a Navy SEAL. We train for war and fight to win. I stand ready to bring the full spectrum of combat power to bear in order to achieve my mission and the goals that have been established for me. A seal goes into battle and the focus is what? What's the mission at hand? They're not thinking about, let's, let's, let's just pause on how amazing and powerful that enemy is. You don't go there. What's the mission? What's the goal? What's the task that is at hand? Now, I am not for a moment, please understand, I'm not denying the severity of spiritual warfare. I'm not denying the reality of spiritual warfare. I'm not saying that the enemy is not real, and I'm not saying that the enemy is not real powerful, but I am saying that we must keep the focus where it belongs, on Christ. On Christ alone and his revealed word that he has been, that has been given to us. C.S. Lewis actually warns. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. And the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. You understand what Lewis is saying here? We don't, we don't what? We don't focus too much on what? The, the enemy in unhealthy interest. There's, there's no need here to be infatuated with, captivated by, controlled by, or fearful of the enemy when we go into battle. And need I remind you, you go into battle every single day that your feet hit the floor. Need I remind you, as I requested this week, and Leslie did an amazing job. I didn't get a chance to thank you for the, the slate over the fireplace. Notice the words. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. We are safe. You are safe under the shadow of the Almighty. I think what we have to do as we kind of enter this subject, we need to be aware of, and we remind ourselves from beginning to end, I think, of the end game. We've got to keep in mind here, like, how does this thing end for us? From the beginning of Scripture to the very end of Scripture. Think about this. In the very, very beginning, Genesis chapter 3, God spoke to the serpent in the Garden of Eden, and, and he spoke and he pointed to the Messiah. And he said, yes, you, you, you're going you're to bruise his heel. But I love this, particularly wording in the NIV. But he 
As God makes it very clear as he speaks directly to the serpent, he will crush your head. What would you rather have, a bruised heel or a crushed head? Keep the focus in mind, the end game. Psalm chapter 2 verse 4 says what? He who sits in the heavens laughs and the Lord holds them in derision. Keep the end game, the ultimate victory. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 13, I will make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Revelation chapter 20, the devil who deceived them, and he is deceiving many today, was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, listen to this, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever, which is literal. This is not nihilism here. It's literal. Keep the end game in mind. Two points I want to bring to you this morning very quickly. The first one is this. How are we to fight spiritual battles? Like, how do we do this then? For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. So we're like, okay, we don't war. Then how do we do this? We begin with this idea, we, we're not going to go into battle with, with a unbiblical, I rebuke you, I bind you, I, I forbid you. Let me, let me assure you that, that the enemy, Satan, and we, remember we have what? Satan is the enemy. Our own flesh certainly roars up against us as well as everything in the world. It takes our eyes and focus off the Lord Jesus Christ. You're no match. You alone are no match for the enemy. But the enemy knows that he ultimately is defeated through the Lord Jesus Christ. So we don't start off with a word. I forbid you. I rebuke we, you. We, we, we do battle not with a word. We do battle with the word. It is written. I had lunch this week uh, with a bunch of area pastors, and one of my buddies just got back from an elk hunt in New Mexico, and he was, he was so excited about this amazing trip. It was, was, was going to be a bow hunt. So you got to get, you got to get what, 40, 50, 60 yards? He talked the fact that he, that he practiced so much he practiced and prepared so much for that bow that his shoulder was actually sore that he had pulled back so many times. His shoulder is sore. Why? Because he wants to be proficient. He does not want to miss. He, he invests time. Same idea. We have got to be proficient in the word that has been given to us. Think about this particular context that Paul is writing. Paul is the author. In Corinth, what was happening here? False teachers were wreaking havoc in the church. The enemy, the enemy was using these people to cause great destruction. The condition of the church in Corinth was disastrous. And one of the major claims of what the false teachers were saying against Paul's method and his, his strategy for ministry is that really, Paul, you're not, you're not spiritual enough. Actually, read the verse prior. It says this. Paul's writing, I, I count, I plan on showing against some 
who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. So, so, so these false teachers are accusing Paul he's not spiritual enough, which I think is really, really interesting. It's fascinating almost. It's the exact same tactic that is used today by false teachers. You're, you're not, see, you, the reason you don't understand the battle, the reason that you can't bind people is that you're not spiritual enough. If, if, you were, if you were just simply, if you would just open yourself up, if you were more aware of the darkness and the demons that are lurking, if you were more, and we hear this phrase, if you were more in tune with the Spirit, then you'd be able to pray against. Then you'd be able to bind up. Same, same tactic that they used against the Apostle Paul. You would be able to sense what we sense if you were as spiritual as we are. You'd be able to feel the battle that surrounds it. And Paul says no. We, we're not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not flesh. Ephesians chapter 6, I said, we'll look at that later on. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So the idea, this word flesh here, it's interesting in Greek, it's the word sarx. It's, it's not used here in an ethical or a moral sense. He's, he's not saying that we walk carnally or immorally. It's used in a literal way. It literally means flesh, like flesh and blood. We're normal men and women. We all participate in normal human existence. We all have emotions and weaknesses. We get hungry and frustrated. We get sick and sad. And angry, we laugh and we cry, we get distracted. What? You cut us and we bleed. That's what he's talking about. We're flesh. Thankfully, the method that we see here of our warfare, what Paul is talking about in Scripture, is that it's not dependent upon our physical flesh. The more muscles you are, you have the safer. No, he's not talking about that. He's not talking about the fact that if you have more bullets, then, then you'll be safe from the enemy. It's, it, it's not happening. If you, if you have read more books about binding Satan, then you'd be able to. He's not talking about that. No. Let me give you this. Hold on to this. Since we are engaged in spiritual battle, the weapons we employ are spiritual weapons. Remember that. Let me say that again. Since we're engaged in a spiritual battle, the weapons that we're going to use are spiritual weapons, which means what? They're not designed by mankind. You can't go buy a spiritual weapon to help you in this battle. They're not produced by mankind. Rather, instead, we need to understand and hold on to this. Spiritual weapons designed by God are not for the advancing of territory, but the advancing of truth. We're not concerned about, well, I, gotta, I, gotta, I, gotta, I gotta claim this hill, this territory. It's, it's not a battle for territory. The enemy knows, the enemy knows Everything belongs to, everything is subject to God. Psalm chapter 24 in verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell within. You see, the enemy wants you to focus on that. 
got to claim this, bind this. And he wants you to focus on capturing the next hill. When in reality, you know what we need to be concerned about? We need to be concerned about pointing people to Jesus. Who captures the next heart. That's what we need to focus on. Now, now think for a moment of the words that we read here. The phrases that the Apostle Paul uses to describe the weapons that we have. He actually, he says that they have divine power. We're not told in this particular text, not, not in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, what those weapons are, but obviously we are told later on. But the divine power, it says that, that this, this power is able to destroy strongholds, is able to destroy or dismantle arguments. And we know Ephesians chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 4, that was already quoted this morning, what? The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. The Word of God is sharper and active. Living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Isn't it, isn't it neat to know that some of the fiercest warriors for the gospel don't have to be like the big, impressive, muscled, with the most, some of the most impressive warriors I've seen for the gospel are, are little tiny old ladies who just know the word, who are faithful on their prayers, lifting up one another. I, I, have, been, I have been so encouraged, both personally and historically, you can read, where someone knows how to do battle, that, that they use scripture and understand scripture, they're proficient in scripture, they're expert in scripture, with whatever circumstance, whatever fiery darts are coming at them. And dear little old Mrs. Savage would say, well, what does the word of God say? The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E, it's, it's really not. So how are we to fight spiritual battles? We understand and to become proficient in the sword that is given to us, which I, I think, in all honesty, leads us still to the specific and very prominent next question. What exactly are we fighting here in spiritual battles? Like, what, like what is out there then? What's lurking behind the tree? What is the battle? Who's in it? What's this enemy look like? What are his strategy and his tactics as we focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and keep the goal in mind the entire time? What exactly are we fighting in spiritual battles? It says that we destroy strongholds, we destroy arguments, and every lofty opinion that's raised against the knowledge of of God. Now, some people, again, have taken this word strongholds and have just built entire errant theology off of, well, what, what is this stronghold? It's some kind of a fortress, which is true. It means fortress, but it's a, it's a, it's a demonic stronghold. It's demonic hierarchy that has existed for long periods of times, and there's generational curses, and this whole family is like a dark cloud. Uh, this family's been cursed. This individual's been cursed. And so what you need to do is you need to identify them. You need to study to understand them. And then you have the ability, if you're spiritual enough, to release them from this curse or ward off some spirit. We don't see that in Scripture. Rather, it, the, the strongholds this fortress 
are described in the very next verse. Now, now think about this. It says that we destroy strongholds, period. In Greek, actually, verses 3 through 6 is just one sentence. It just continues on, and it actually describes this stronghold. Describes what they are. Strongholds we destroy are arguments. Another word for arguments. Some translations actually use the word speculations. Anything, every lofty opinion that is raised against the knowledge of God. With words like this that Paul intentionally is using, he's describing the nature of spiritual warfare for us. Argument. In Greek, it's logosmos. It literally actually means imaginations. Anything the mind can imagine. Reasonings. Thought processes. But not only how one thinks cognitively, but as, and I like the way that Dane Ortland describes it like this, the mind's settled loyalty. So when you've what, thought about something, you've come to a rest, I believe this. That's the stronghold, that's the fortress that's been raised up against the knowledge of God. So what are those things today? And think about this, they're raising themselves, just imagine the pride, the immense pride of mental fortresses that people actually think, what, they know more than. Well, well God's word, yeah, but we know more than that. What, what are some of these things? been raised against the knowledge of God. And, and I, I've looked at this and studied. There's really nothing new. There's nothing new. It's just repackaged from the very, very beginning. From the ancient sophists, you can read, to Frederick Nietzsche, to the more recent, what, Christopher Hitchens or, or Dawkins. The whole, what, what's the big one here? God is dead. Atheism. There is no God. To agnosticism and the prominence. He may exist. He may be somewhere out there. This is the hot button today. Okay? So you want to believe that? That's fine. It's good for you. Sure, there may be, but we cannot be in relationship. You can't know him personally, which flies against the truth of the gospel. Humanism. There's no need for God because what? You can do anything you want. There's, there's, there's no limits to what mankind is able to do, able to accomplish. Well, yeah, there is. You can't stop death. It still happens. To relativism, to postmodernism, what? Deface everything and everything. Everything and anything. There's no absolutes. Doubt it all. And then destroy the messenger. Deface Tear apart the one who disagrees with you. Individualism, materialism. There's no end to the isms that have sought to elevate themselves to rise up against and above. The one true, absolute, sovereign, designer, creator, sustainer, savior of the world. We've got to know these lofty opinions. I think it focused primarily, and I would almost say in this order, on, on primarily 
three essential areas. What, what are the three biggest areas that, have, that, that the enemy has sought to twist or distort to attack? Number one, since the very, very beginning, is the word of God. That which you hold in your lap right now. It goes all the way back to the very, very beginning. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. When uh, you are forbidden to eat of this one tree. You have everything to enjoy. Splendor and wonder and beauty. It's all yours. But you don't touch this one thing because if you touch that one thing, you will die. What, what, is, what, what came under attack before anything else? Did God actually say, uh, the serpent speaking to Eve? Did God actually say that you shall not eat and later on when she responds, she goes, yeah, he did. He said, if we eat it, we're going to die. And what, what, what is the word that is under attack? You will not surely die. The word of God spoken, the word of God that has been written, recorded, has been, continues to be the number one target. The Bible has been forbidden in countries and mocked in others. It has been removed, we know that, and relegated to the ancient, to the absurd. You don't believe that. It's out of touch and it's out of date. And yet for some reason, after thousands of years, the truth remains. The grass withers, flowers die, we could, what, not add to the word, but we could look around us and say, and every leaf continues to turn and fall off the trees. But the word of God endures forever. The word of God has been the number one focus that the enemy sought to destroy. The second one is what? It's the sanctity of life. The enemy is clearly described as one. He's what? He's seeking, he's looking for whom he may destroy or whom he may devour. We know that all life, all life, regardless of what? The story of the origin of how this life was conceived. Every life has been created in the image of God and is valued and is priceless now yes there are people that do horrid and evil things but we know that life is a gift from god therefore we pray that all come to a saving knowledge of the lord jesus christ and we work diligently to protect life and to celebrate all life in interesting at, at how, in a sense, the enemy has sought to just destroy, to, to take away. The word of God, the sanctity of life, the third area, and I think right now that we would see the sacredness of God-ordained marriage and family and the distinct and glorious role of a man and a woman. It, it's no secret we can go back and we can see the enemy has made great progress in deceiving people about the word of God. The enemy has made great progress in destroying life through war and violence and crime and abortion. But most recently, I don't think there's anything that has come under attack more than let's destroy the, the God-given design, the moral fabric of how we exist 
as far as our God-given role. Pastor Stewart has done an exceptional job, I believe, of the last two months focusing on how do we respond to this? When what? All of creation, God steps back and says, that is good. Sun, moon, and stars, that is good. And the beauty of plant life and animal life, it is good, it is good, it is good. And he, and he creates man. He creates one that, what, is totally unique from everything and everyone else. He says, it is very good. Kevin DeYoung was preaching recently, and he says this, and I quote, only man and woman together can fulfill that great creational design that is described in Genesis chapter 1. There is a likeness created in God's image, yet a difference, and there's a distinction. Everything about God's design in this world must keep in mind the sexual differentiation between men and women, which is not an accident of creation, but from the very beginning, God's good and glorious plan. This is part of God's plan. Therefore, why? What? For some reason, it is under attack now more than ever before. How do we fight in this? We fight spiritual war with spiritual weapons. The word of God is the truth of God. What are we fighting? We're fighting the, the reasons, the thoughts, the speculations, the arguments that have been raised up. They have been built up in the hearts and the minds of mankind against God. And then he concludes this text with, well, this is what we take with us. This is what we are supposed to do. Direct application here. This is what we do. Number one, it says what? Take every single thought captive. Take every single thought captive. A thousand messages, millions of messages that you are just what? You're being pounded with and flooded with. When I think of take every thought captive, I, I go to... Um, the old King James, I think I memorized it when I was a kid. That's why it's in my mind in King James. In 1 Peter, in, in chapter 3, it says to gird up the loins of your mind. What exactly does that mean, to gird up? It means to tuck in. A thousand different, what, false messages and lies are being, you've got to understand and you've got to know gospel truth, gospel truth before than anything else. Everything that you hear and see, how does that work alongside the fact that there is one sovereign God, totally holy? Created man in his own image, and yet mankind in sin, what? We feel the devastation and the brokenness all around us and the distance that exists between a holy God and sinful man. And we know that mankind continues to be in rebellion to a holy God. Don't be shocked about that. Don't be shocked with the messages that you're hearing. You've got to understand the truth that God has made a way and loves us unconditionally, loves every human life created and reflected his image. To be drawn into personal relationship. And that happens through acknowledging the fact that we are broken. That we are sinners in need of a Savior, and that Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. Put our faith in Him. He lived a perfect life, died, suffered on the cross where you and I deserve to be, and rose again three days later so that we can live in obedience. We can live, not in this 
sense of fear every single day what's lurking behind the next no live as followers of the lord jesus Christ. and everything we do in a sense we tuck it in and we know take every single thought captive and then he says what finally he closes with this be ready to punish every disobedience i thought it was interesting phrases some it's like be ready to like grind their nose this is not being sadistic paul's punishment here of the opposition coincides with the obedience that he is calling the corinthians to think of this part of their obedience is their refusal to put up with subversive ways so being ready to punish disobedience is what is not going their direction is not believing that lie how does that measure against the truth of the word of god and we've got to trust something here. What? Keep the end game in mind. Trust that the vocal, rebellious, anti-gospel mindset that exists will be punished. They will be held accountable. And we trust that. We rest in that. And I know that at some level that there's, there's a lot to this subject. And, and we can't just like, one, here it is, and then kind of hope you do okay out there. So we're going we're gonna to pause. We're going to spend the next couple weeks just together as we unpackage this specifically. But I trust that this morning you understand a little bit as far as, well, what it is and, and how it exists and what we're doing and ultimately where it points us. Just as my friend's shoulder should be sore in practice, becoming an expert in and proficient we should lead our homes in this word our day begins with this word our day ends in this word it says that we feed on this word we're nourished and strengthened by it we hold tight we hold tight in the fury of the war that rages around us to the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Would you bow our heads and pray with me? Father, we love you and we thank you, Lord, for your word that reveals truth, that speaks to us, that draws us close to you. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be strong, healthy, faithful warriors of the gospel. We would study the truth hard, and commit it to memory, teach it to our our children to the next generation that we would be faithful prayer warriors and that we lord would give you all of the glory knowing that we are safe in the finished work of jesus we love you and we thank you for your constant presence you will never leave us and you'll never forsake us bless us in your name we pray amen